Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Hey guys, welcome back. It is week four of Hobbit Month. I cannot believe we are already at the end. I know. That just it flew by. It did. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as of last week, we concluded the movies. We did the Fellowship, Two Towers, and then Return of the King. Had some awesome guests on with us. This week, we are doing our book club episode, and we are talking about The Hobbit. So this is where it all got started. And this week, we have another amazing guest with us. She is a returning guest. She was with us in April for our Heathers episode. We want to welcome Sarah Candela. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me. We are glad you are back. Now, Sarah, you have your own podcast. You are from Bell to Bell. Is that correct? Yes. I'm actually... Uh, it's been one year since I've released an episode of the podcast, but it's funny that you're happening to bring it up because I have right here on the desktop of my computer, the next episode ready to be released oh, that's exciting. in a nice little package. There you go. So, um, yeah, I have two more episodes, um, that I'm releasing of that, of, of from Bell to mm-hmm. Bell. And then, um, we're going to decide if we want to continue it or, um, kind of just put a nice, I think it'll that'll be 25 episodes so we might just put a little bow sure. on it but we're deciding it was a hard show to to run mm-hmm. um especially when your co-host has twin babies mm. and um, that'll do it all of a sudden <laughs> and we can't talk to each other for like a week at a time mm-hmm. <laughs> very difficult yes. but you're also doing a radio show on Saturday nights aren't you I am. So I do a show called The Doc, which is, um, how do you describe it? I guess we call it music and conversation. And we will sometimes inject poetry and readings from different things in there as well. But it is run on a network that is an internet radio network for, it's supposed to be really for, it was created for educators. So it's called Voice Ed um, Radio, voiceed.ca. And it's a Canadian internet radio i always say channel but it's a website and app but it's weird to think of radio without a channel right, yeah. right? isn't that weird so i'm always like uh is it a station um, i don't know <laughs> it is now um, sure. it is now but when when you have the app on your phone it kind of feels like you're just turning the radio on mm-hmm. but yeah i connected with stephen hurley who runs voice ed canada voice ed radio and um uh, i think like 
a year and a half ago now because he was on my podcast. And then we just got to talking about radio and I loved his nostalgia for like the spoken word and and how he would talk about how it pre, you know, it's like the, the precursor to podcasting. And when we say we like radio, we like this kind mm-hmm. of radio, people talking about things that are important, maybe incorporating music into it, maybe incorporating literature or film or something like we like that idea of people gathering around and listening to something um, together. And so he eventually we're actually coming up on our one year anniversary of doing this show together because eventually last year he said, hey, I do this Saturday night show that has nothing to do with education. And even though we connected through the fact that it was an educational network, um, he had this one show on a Saturday night that he just does for fun to kind of kick back and just play music and talk. And he invited me as a guest and then I never left. (laughs) (laughs) So it's super fun. And now it's become a really big part of my life. And um, it is called The Doc and it is on voiced.ca or the Voiced app um, on Saturdays at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Um, It's just a two hour show where we talk and we take caller. People call in old school radio. Nice. Um, people request nice. songs. We do a topic every week. We just did the frontier. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's become a pretty eclectic, fun way to spend a Saturday evening. And thank you for mm-hmm. asking. Well, that's exciting, and we are glad that you are here with us again. We had so much fun with you doing Heather's, and uh, when you said you were a big fan, I'm like, ooh, let's talk the Hobbit. So yeah. <laughs> It's funny because as you as we're speaking, I'm I keep seeing my my phone blow up here on the desk, and it's um my high school English teacher who taught me The Hobbit and whose copy of The Hobbit I know, I have in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, he is texting me. Are you recording about The Hobbit yet? <laughs> <laughs> He's been waiting. Awesome. When I told him I was going to do this, and I couldn't find my copy, mm-hmm. he within a half an hour got a copy from his house and mailed it to me from New oh, York. Oh nice. wow. So I'm working with an ancient copy with yellow pages. That's awesome. Um, straight from the person who taught it to me first. Aww. That's really cool. If I was going to do mm-hmm. that. I'd have to bring my mom on, and that's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to bring Liz on. <laughs> I, I mean, the ultimate guest for you would have been this this guy, mm-hmm. but since he's not a woman, <laughs> I decided that's probably not. Yeah, we've we've opened up a little bit. We've had a couple of guys on. We uh, last week we had Brian on to talk about uh, the Return of the King with us, and that was fun. But yeah, for the most part, we still hang with the ladies. So yeah, I think I, like, I don't know if that's against against the rules of the nerdy bitches. Yeah. I don't know. It used to be, but now we have some nerdy butches that we like to bring on from time to time. Yeah, so. as long as the guys are okay being called a bitch, we yeah. will let them on. Yeah. Yeah, they're not. Then they're they're gonna get. Now I'm thinking fast, that so. if you had him on, I'm thinking if you had him on, what what he would think of that. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't told him what the name uh, of the show yes. is that I'm doing this yes, for. Yes, yes. So, Always interesting to, to see where that. people are at that point. Yeah, we get that a lot. Anyway, so Sarah, you said that you read this book in high school. Is that right? First time. So my history with The Hobbit goes back to, I feel, I almost always say ninth grade because I feel like that's the age that I would think, that's the age that I taught it Mm -hmm. to, but, um, because that's typically where you'll find it. But I read it in 12th grade in a class called Folklore, Fantasy, and Science Fiction, (laughs) which was a senior elective. My school didn't have anything cool like that. (laughs) And so it was kind of known... it, you know, in my high school, if you knew, because the teacher that taught this um, also taught ninth grade. So um, if you had him in ninth grade, you were in a room that was filled with the, like, 
you know, evidence of the folklore of all of this stuff from that senior elective because he would have the kids do all of these crazy like physical projects and they would pretty much never leave the room. They would be hung all over the place um, and toys and all sorts. Forget it. The nerdy bitches would have went insane <laughs> in this classroom. <laughs> You would have just holed up mm-hmm. there and never laughed and just said, bye, mom, I've been adopted by a room. Right. <laughs> <laughs> never coming home. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that that uh, if you had any exposure to that room before 12th grade, you knew what was kind of, uh, you know, if you took that elective, you knew what was coming. And so it was it was a known fact that The Hobbit was the center mm-hmm. of that course. Um, and so, uh, it, you know, that that no matter what other, you know, short stories or like, um, what do you call it? Mythology and and tales that you did throughout the course. It was a half year Mm -hmm. course. And, um, no matter what you did for the rest of the semester, it was the Hobbit, um, as, as a novel and then star Wars as a piece of Mm -hmm. film. Hmm. Those were the two like major pieces that, and it was cool because then after, after you can't remember if there was a specific order of the two, but obviously you'd be reading a novel as an English class. And then we would do the film as, um, you know, doing like film as literature. Mm-hmm. So you kind of practice all of those analytical skills. But the core of the class was learning um, about the hero's mm-hmm. journey. And so that is how I, um, you know, once you take that course and it's imprinted into your brain, um, that is how you see almost everything in life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that is how I read and see and teach The Hobbit. Um, Cause then later on when I became an English teacher, the two years or so that I taught the ninth grade, um, I ordered this book immediately and I was like, I'm teaching The Hobbit. No one can tell me mm-hmm. no. Um, this is what I'm doing because uh, there was no elective at the school that I um, taught in that I was that would have fit mm-hmm. this. So I was like, this is a perfect ninth grade book, perfect to introduce plot and story structure and character mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So, yeah. So then I and when I did teach it, I taught it out of my folklore notebook mm-hmm. oh. that I that I had kept from the 12th grade. And I scoured my room. Um, two nights ago, all of any, any place on my desk, my office, I could not find the freaking notebook and I know I have it here. And I'm like, how can I do this without that notebook? (laughs) (laughs) It has like my notes from, uh, you know, 1998. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I taught out of it and, um, and now I have the copy from my teacher Mm, in my hands. So everything in my life is full circle, cyclical. Mm -hmm. That's my, uh, relationship to the Mm -hmm. Hobbit. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. I think if I were to just start teaching class, like English class, that's probably what my class would be. It's like, here's all the nerd works you need to know to make it into the world. That could be the name of your course, <laughs> nerd work. Oh, yeah. I like it. <laughs> I would take that class. Yeah. So Heather, this was your first time to read The Hobbit, yeah? Yes, yes. Yeah. Very exciting to hear I, what you think. Yes. I, um, you know, I, but I've seen the movies. Right. And I know you're like, oh, well, they added too much, you know, but I liked it. No, I I like the way they did it. And if you're going to try to stretch this, you know, 30 minute book into a, you know, 12 hours of video, then yeah, you have to add more. There's there's not enough in it to make uh, that kind of an epic thing happen. But I, yeah, I was I was happy with how they did the movie as well. So again, my history, Sarah, if you don't know about this, is um, when we were kids, my mom used to rent the 1978 Rankin Bass Hobbit movie for us from the public mm-hmm. library, and we would watch it on a loop. And then when we got old enough, so I was probably I would say probably seven or eight, maybe eight or nine at this point, uh, she would have us read the book to her. We would read The Hobbit to her out loud so that we could practice our reading and speaking skills. 
which I realized I was like, oh, man, what a drag. But I've realized it's a huge, huge (laughs) benefit in my life that I can do those two things at the same time. Whereas you listen to a lot of people try to read and speak and it, it doesn't always work. So I've been reading it for a very long time. And I would say the first time that I ever encountered it in school was probably my seventh grade uh, reading class. It was an advanced class. So all the things that I later end up having to do as a freshman, I had already done in the seventh grade. So it was like this book and mm-hmm. Animal Farm and some of the others. It's like, oh, hey. Wow. You must have thought that The Hobbit just was the center of everybody's yeah, life. I did. I was like, we're doing this. Yeah. It was this- <laughs> really a big part of your and life. It was. Yeah, it was. And uh, and that, that, that it still is. You know, it's it's still one of my yeah. favorites. And you know, I was telling Heather, I actually did not read the Lord of the Rings books until after the Fellowship of the Ring movie came out in 2001. I had never, I'd read The mm-hmm. Hobbit multiple times. I'd seen the movie a million times. We tried to watch The Return of the King that Rankin Bass also put out, but they only did Return of the King. They didn't do the first two parts. So, I mean, I watched part of it, but I, you know, you're coming in at the end. So it's like, like, it just wasn't, I couldn't get caught into it like I would have. So when I saw Fellowship, I was like, holy shit, I need to go and read this book now, like (laughs) immediately right now, do not pass go. And so I did. And of course I've read it pretty much every year since because I just love it. So, uh, yeah. So I'm working on my Tolkien scholarship right about now. (laughs) Just just walk around with my PhD and in JRR stuff. You can... You can start like a um, like a nerdy bitches academy <laughs> where you run like mini. The, the, yeah, the funny that's thing a good about idea. that is that two years ago I was helping to homeschool my niece, my oldest niece, and she uh, that that's what my school was called. It was the Nerdy Bees Academy for the Awesome X Men. So <laughs> that was the actual school she attended for that year. So uh, yeah, so that's that's how we roll around here. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway. And so Heather, explain yourself. Why have you never read The Hobbit? <laughs> I, you know, it actually never was on my radar. I don't know. I um, I grew up in Utah and I, and for some reason, The Hobbit, just like Lord of the Rings, none of that was ever even like talked about. Um, mm. The uh, the Narnia Chronicles, those ones we read and, uh, you know, a bunch of others, but never, uh, never with Lord of the Rings for some reason or, you know, any Tolkien. So probably because we can, can't pronounce the last name. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just skip it. Just move on. Yeah, we we spent a good while trying to figure out what we were going to call this month, and we were trying to do some play on words with talking Tolkien or talking about hobbits or I don't know something. Oh my! <laughs> but Heather's like, with my Utah accent, it's just going to sound like token token. So <laughs> that's all we got. Yeah. So so, anyways, let's dive into the book and let's talk talk a little bit about the Hobbit. And Sarah, have you read the Lord of the Rings or have you just read the Hobbit? I have read um, Fellowship. Okay. And similar, like in a similar fashion to you, after the film started to come out, I had gone back and, you know, kind of rekindled like a romance with these mm-hmm. novels, but then, and, and then dove into the second novel. And I don't think I ever made it mm-hmm. out. Um, <laughs> I think I got like halfway through and then got into more like all of the other um, like the lore and stuff instead. So I wound up just collecting. In fact, I should have brought it up brought it up here from my bookshelf downstairs I have on the bottom like all these different like you know books with like like detailed diagrams of different types of goblins Mm -hmm. and all sorts of like all of those like books that you could buy as companions so I got really into studying all that stuff instead and um, never kind of went back Um, but that's my relationship (laughs) I think there's a there's a marked (laughs) difference in how the books are actually written from The Hobbit mm-hmm. to The Lord of the Rings. Because as far as I understand, The Hobbit was written to be a book for 
children, basically. It was a story. Yeah. And when you're reading it, there's actually we and we don't know who it is, but there is a narrator telling the story to the mm-hmm. audience. So it's it's not like just a normal book where it's like, and Bilbo lives in a hole and he's, you know, but there's actually a now if you'll listen to me when I say blah blah blah, like there's a full storytelling aspect that's happening to it that is absent from the Lord of the Rings books. That's not there. They just dive straight into big grown up words. <laughs> right. Not walking you through it. So yeah, which is why I think oftentimes when you find Lord of the Rings, like diehard Lord of the Rings fans, like their The Hobbit is sometimes not mm-hmm. on there. Like, of course, they know it's there because they're Lord of the Rings fans, but they're not they're not typically Hobbit yeah. fans is what I ha- used to yeah. find. It's a very different um, story. It's, you know, you've got one story that's happening and it's a traveling tale and it's a coming of age almost for Bilbo kind of mm-hmm. going from living in the Shire and knowing nothing of the world outside beyond maps and things of that nature to the harsh realities of things that happen when you go on these adventures. Mm-hmm. And again, the fellowship and two towers, you know, the Lord of the Rings is a big epic. And <laughs> you have a place mm-hmm. and you go to a place and you do a thing and we have the hero's journey and then we also have, you know, the other groups who aren't quite doing that exact <laughs> thing. And so it is it's a very different thing. And I think you're right. I think, you know, if you have a diehard Hobbit fan, they're like, yeah, Lord of the Rings and kind of like I was as a kid. It's like, man, so sure, whatever, fine. Because it's a different feel to it. And it's it's a different, I don't know, it's just different altogether. So, Yeah, and it's funny that you bring up the children, like it, it having a focus on on a children's audience. Because if you, if you do think of it from the perspective of a child, The Hobbit is an epic tale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you are a kid in, in this, because a kid can picture, even though, even though Bilbo is not a child. Right. But he's childlike. Can, yeah. He's child. I mean, and that's why hobbits are are relatable because they're very they're very human, kind of like childlike human. And so, yeah, if you're a kid, you can like this is like what what Bilbo goes through emotionally and mentally is is what almost everything in your life is like yeah. as a kid mm-hmm. when people force force you to do anything outside of your right. house. <laughs> At least for me, it was. <laughs> he's like, no, I just want to stay here and drink and read and smoke a little I just, yeah i'm just gonna stay here in my comfy chair i mean that's what i was like when i was mm-hmm. 10 yeah <laughs> i'm still like you. that very much I, yeah because you know it's it really is like bilbo is more of a um it's a coming of age story even though he is an adult mm-hmm. and so but it, you know, it does kind of set the stage for you're about to like there's exciting things out there and you know you're going to have a lot of adventures now you know we know now that the adventures in the hobbit are you know fictional but like the idea though that you're gonna that things that are different and outside your comfort zone are uh can have great opportunity and can be you know uh great fun theoretically Mm -hmm. it also helps you get beyond just your own self you know like all of everything he did was his world and his things and he did what his parents did and he hung out in the place where his family has lived for a million years but when you know a gaggle of dwarfs show up on your door and say hey maybe come help us take back our mountain and we'll give you some cash and he's like all right but it becomes much less of a i'm gonna go get some money because he doesn't really care about that kind of thing to let me help them get back what was theirs. And it, it becomes a, a much more selfless kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think you see that with other characters when you go into the Lord of the Rings, like you've got Mary and Pippin who are young and impetuous and they do the things and they're all about living in the moment and happiness and fun and, you know, that kind of very selfish. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but, you know, just very mm-hmm. self-absorbed or self-involved. And then they, by the end of the show, they have had to really, 
grow up and learn how to do these other things. So I think we are seeing that progression with Bilbo as well because he's like 50 when this adventure starts, 50 years old. And so by the time we have 60 years in the future, you know, he's now 111. So (laughs) that's another thing that's probably, I mean, I didn't read this when I was, you know, before the 12th Mm -hmm. grade. So I wouldn't know from the perspective of a real small child, but like, that's something else that's probably really fun or funny for kids is like that the whole the whole playing with the Mm -hmm. ages like I've I always have thought that was funny as an adult. And I just feel like just little things like that, that that are like a silly kind of don't really make sense type Mm -hmm. of thing. Like, like he's so childlike, but he's 50 years old. Right. (laughs) Like it just I don't know. And I think that there's that element of humor in The Hobbit that is also missing from a lot of the Lord of the Yeah. Rings. We've talked we've talked um, about during this series how much future authors have taken from Tolkien's works over the years. Just different storytelling mm-hmm. aspects and di- you know giant spiders and you know all of these different things and that you know being a 50-year-old child basically and even if you watch like <laughs> The Mandalorian on Disney Plus, Baby Yoda is like mm-hmm. 50 years old. Yep. <laughs> so they're all like right. um but he's a baby. It's like yeah, well, certain species develop faster or slower than others. And and it is kind of like introducing kids to that idea that not everything has to be linear how you uh, how you experience it, that someone else's experience is going to be different than yours just because their life is different than yours. Right. So. Although I do think that Liz is a little bit like the dad in my big fat uh-huh. Greek wedding yeah, where, he, where, to Tolkien, he's like, where he's like, oh give me God. anything and I will bring it back to Greece. <laughs> give, give me any word and I will tell you how the root of that word is Tolkien. So. <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, this this book came out in 1937. The Lord of the Rings came out in 1954. So it is a massive so precursor to a lot of things, especially in the worlds of fantasy and sci-fi. So we see it in Harry Potter. We see it in Star Wars. So, you know, everybody kind of pulls from everyone else. And again, as you go forward now, you'll see people who have taken their influences from J.K. Rowling and who have taken them from George Lucas and these other storytelling people. But you can trace a lot mm-hmm. of it back, you know, to these kind of roots. I mean, yeah, you could not have anything from Harry Potter, nothing would exist mm-hmm. without, without this. I mean, it's just impossible mm-hmm. unless uh, she created it all on her own and then we'd be talking about her right, <laughs> right. now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, no, I, I think, uh, yeah, cause Dementors really has a, uh, you know, a lot like the, I guess those are the guys in Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. The ones, well, the Nazgul. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I accidentally called them Dementors on one of the episodes here. They look like Dementors. I've done that myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, in, exactly. So there's a, there's a lot of things that, that pull from this. And I think that folks who have not had the opportunity or have not taken the opportunity to get to know this literature because they think it's hokey or they think it, you know, whatever it is. Um, it's mm-hmm. the same thing like Harry Potter. Like a lot of people, and maybe the reason you didn't hear about it in Utah, Heather, is because that Utah has a connotation of a certain level of religiousness and uh-huh. it's not always inclusive of things that are like magic and could be considered yeah. evil. Yeah, I was and- thinking that as well. It, it could it could be. Um, uh, you know, Harry Potter didn't get big until after I left and it really, it was already out. Right. To the point where I, I think people realize that like, yeah, these guys aren't really, you know, devil worshipers. They celebrate <laughs> Christmas every year. So yeah, maybe Harry Paul Potter's okay. A stroke about it every time somebody's <laughs> like, just, oh, this is witchcraft. No. He's like, they celebrate Christmas in every book. I'm like, yeah, yeah they do. They yeah. Do. Uh, like, people still like, I don't know. Is that still something that people talk about? Well, like that, that when I mean? left in I Utah know. a long time ago, it, <laughs> I, I think that it kind of was. But <laughs> but since then, like even my really, really religious family, they all like Harry Potter. So. Mm. Anyway, so The Hobbit, <laughs> that was the Harry Potter segment. <laughs> so we open up with this book and we have, again, Bilbo chilling in his front yard, back end, 
in the Shire, just smoking, having a good time. And this weird old wizard dude shows up and says, hey, I'm going to send you on an adventure. He's like, no. <laughs> now, no refresh my, now refresh my memory. He knew Gandalf before, though. He, he knew of him and had probably met him as like a small child uh, because Gandalf just kind of, you know, he's like 3,500 years old or more. So he just comes and goes and does his thing. But they knew him as, you know, this weird little guy who would show up and set off fireworks and then go away again and sometimes he came by and and convinced people to go on adventures and so he was he's not seen real highly they don't they like him for the fireworks but they're all very wary of him he is yeah he's like a little like entertainer that comes around every once in a while (laughs) but they don't want him to interfere with their life yeah they don't understand what a wizard is or what they do i'm not sure i do either so (laughs) i guess that means i'm a hobbit well you know we've we've talked about this trying to figure out what race we would be in the tolkien world uh heather's a half orc (laughs) definitely (laughs) picked hobbit myself so yeah i used to think about that a lot Mm -hmm. and i uh i don't know i don't want to get into that again (laughs) (laughs) i was i think i'm like i'm like hobbit elf Mm -hmm. That's me. Sure. There is something, and and they kind of talk about it in this book, right? Is that he thinks back and forth and then decides he's going to go on to on an adventure. There's something really fun there that the idea that um, that decision to to decide to get up and go and and do something you've never done before. I that's I that's what I really liked about the book, and I think I would have liked it as a child if I read it. It's funny because I I um I think there's something in here where it makes you think back go back and forth at least it does for me it makes you really think whether or not like how much of that decision is conscious mm-hmm. to him and whether we're supposed to think that it is not not really part of the magic I wouldn't say magic but that it's telling I I feel like there's something that's telling us that all people have something inside them that is part of what Bilbo is feeling. Mm-hmm. And you just need somebody or something to step in and awaken it. Mm-hmm. And it's almost, there's almost, I feel like a bit of uncontrol there. Like he does have to physically get up and make the choice right. and decide on his own. But there's a part of him that, that innately um, is like sitting there dormant, like needs to be just kind of poked. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's that part of us. Um, I, I feel like as and, and you can think of it as a child, I guess, as well, that the, the child that doesn't want to leave the comfort of home um, or the child that's never done anything without his parents. Like you can do this for every you can think about it for every age mm-hmm. of a child up through going going off to college. And, um, you know, thinking about that, we all have that. And some of us never some of us never exercise it. Mm-hmm. We let it, we let the the wanting to be comfortable um, just take control of us all the time and we never leave that zone. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like we're supposed to see a pull between both and like, but there is something in him that is almost uncontrollable. Like he has to do it at some point um, or other, otherwise, um, you know, it, it won't really, he won't really be able to become a full human. It becomes yeah. a compulsion. And I think what we see, because they, they're trying to talk to him. They're like, this is what we need you to do. We've got but 13 dwarfs show up. That's an unlucky number. So we need someone else. We need a burglar. He's like, I've never stolen. Like, what are you talking about? Burglar? What is that? <laughs> what is, that's where the humor starts. Yeah. It's so funny. I know. I thought it's hilarious. <laughs> He's like the most proper, you know, well-respected hobbit in the land. And they're like, come over here and be a thief. That'll be amazing. And he's like, um, I don't speak your language. I don't understand what you're trying to, to say. And so they talk to him and they're like, we really need to go. And they give him all these compelling reasons. And he's still like, 
no, I don't think I'm going to do that. But it's it's not until like the morning after this unexpected party that he wakes up and realizes the dwarves are all gone and the house mm-hmm. is clean and it's almost like they were never there. And so it, it feels like that at this point is when that fear of missing out, the FOMO kind of thing just kicks in. And he's like, okay, well, let me just chase them down because, I mean, I have to do this. Like I have to – like it just becomes that compulsion like you said right there at that point when he realizes, oh, they, they went without me. Like I don't have a time to sit around and wait. Bless you. <laughs> it's a dog. Sorry. But they say, I don't have the time to sit around and wait and make a decision and do the things because they're gone. And the longer I wait, the further away they're going to get. Yeah, I I got that impression too. It's like it's you know have you ever not been invited to a party, but then kind of irritated that you weren't uh-huh. asked, even though you know you wouldn't have gone. Yeah, you're like I don't want to go, but I certainly would like <laughs> to be invited, sir. Like, all you have to do is ask. I'm going to say no, but I'd like you to keep asking. <laughs> I feel like my anxiety yeah. talks like that a lot. It's like um, I'd still like to be invited. I don't want to go, and I'm not going to go, but I would like to be invited. So. Mm-hmm. And there there's a part of him, and like I guess kind of going with what I said before is like there it seems like there's a little bit of an inevitable in it because there is you know he does kind of get lost in the grand fantasy of their tale Mm -hmm. of their of their of the lore of it all but then he'll quickly bring himself back like there's those two sides of him that are vying for control over over his mind Mm -hmm. um to put it that way i don't know sounds sinister and evil but (laughs) it happened to another hobbit (laughs) but it's it's true though we talked about that before and um in the other movies when we're talking about Gollum basically having a dual nature. So you've got Smeagol who's, you know, the way he is and he's kind of innocent and nice ish. I mean, he was an asshole and a murderer, but whatever. Uh, But he was still more agreeable and interesting. But then you have Gollum who is very dark. And sometimes we've, we've said it takes having that part that you can turn off the other part of your brain to do these terrible things that you end up having to do. I'm not saying Bilbo was doing terrible things, yet but right <laughs> you know there but again there's that there's that thing that's like this is my everyday life and then this is the part that's going to have to shut that part off if i'm going to do anything or i'm going to take a step forward so right it's funny that and now that you're bringing up Gollum, because i'm thinking about um when the lord of the rings films came out and they were such a huge hit and suddenly everybody knew all the characters and i was like and and there was like this whole like culture around Gollum and people being intrigued by what the heck is this guy and i just remember thinking like you guys don't even know you haven't even read the hobbit <laughs> Gollum is so cool <laughs> Right, because he was such a central piece of the Hobbit to me, and the way it was taught to mm-hmm. me, um, and the way I taught it, that I like he's he's just like one of the most fascinating, um, I think, characters written in literature like this, mm-hmm. and so I just I just remember being so so just like possessive of his entire character arc, like <laughs> yeah, you don't even know what the Hobbit is, you're just looking at the Lord of the Rings movies, you can't you like Gollum know. like I do. It's like Gollum's not even a person; he's a weird little frog man. Like, you know, yeah. And that's the thing, like, you know, growing up watching that movie, that's what I remember the most about it was the whole, you know, riddles in the dark, the whole thing in Gollum's cave. That is the most memorable part of the thing, because that is when Bilbo really kind of, you know, steps up and finds the courage to do the things. And because before that, he's kind of baggage. Like, I mean, he goes and he does some stuff and he steals some stuff and wears, you know, whatever. But for the most part, he's, they, you know, they drop him. Like he doesn't even, they don't even know where he's gone. They don't care. They're not paying that no. much attention to him. No, but at some point in the hero's journey, he has to be on his own. And that is where that moment comes in. 
um, in riddles because because if he's accompanied by the people who brought him there the whole time, he'll never have a chance to stand on his own, and then the story is pointless. I just want to can I just read the, one of the first little descriptions of Gollum here because it's um I know I'm skipping ahead to chapter five, but it just uh, was highlighted, and I I just because it it reminds me of the way. Um, when when we first see him like when you first see Gollum in the films when they came out and if you were someone who was a fan of the novels or the hobbit like it was so cool to see a character like that come alive in that way and i love this description always to me like reminds me of how they did that well in the film and it says actually Gollum lived on a slimy island of rock in the middle of the lake he was watching bilbo now from the distance with his pale eyes like telescopes Bilbo could not see him, but he was wondering a lot about Bilbo, for he could see that he was no goblin at all. And then the next paragraph, it, how it describes how he, it says he got into his boat and shot off from the island. And like, so the, his eyes being like telescopes, I always remember that description as being something that they did well in the film. And 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 also like in the if you think about him in the film, whenever he is paranoid looking around, that is how his eyes move, like as if someone is looking, someone looking, looking, you know, through a telescope is searching for something. And so I love that description. And then the, and then when they talk about how he moves, like shooting off from the island, like scampering, like, I don't know, th those things, I think there are certain things that I think the film really did well. And those de details like that are, I think, what make um, translating an epic important especially one with memorable characters. Anyway, I just want, I know I jumped ahead, but yeah. Well, you know, as, as I read it, I could, you know, I, again, seeing the movie first, it puts that picture already in your head. So to me, it was seamless, mm -hmm. right? Because, because of how good uh, Peter Jackson and the, you know, filmmakers were able to uh, turn it into reality. It's really, really impressive. Yeah, he's still cartoon Gollum in my head. So some, <laughs> okay. Because again, I watched this movie for a lot of years and he has a, such a distinctive, like the character has such a distinctive voice and the way that he talks to himself and murmurs to himself and makes that Gollum sound in his throat. And again, they have him in the cartoon. He looks more like a frog. Like he's very, you know, he's very froggish, mm -hmm. um, like frog man. But, and, and in Fellowship, we only see a hint of Gollum. We never yeah, see him. And I full. love that. So the, it's so creepy. Yeah, it's so well, cool. The way that they did that and, you know, and one of the other ways that they describe his eyes in the book is like lamp-like and, mm -hmm. and where they do and like they'll just flash, like just lights flashing in his eyes and the way his hair, he's got like six pieces of hair that kind of float around and his, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's very well done and he did a great job of we keeping We could do an that. episode just describing Gollum, mm -hmm. his physical features. Exactly. <laughs> How many hair hair follicles does he have? He's only got nine teeth. I'll tell you that. So, <laughs> I think of the book, it was six, but whatever. It's fine. Wow, this is the detail that you guys have come to expect on the Nerdy Vicious podcast. Hey, you we're know now, we're now counting teeth. Yeah. If there's something I know, it's, it's weird, random knowledge that nobody cares about. I have a lot of that, so it's all good. But one of the things that you noticed, even in that that uh, paragraph that you just read, it you can see the big difference between the writing in between or like between the Hobbit and then the Lord of the Rings. So in the Hobbit, they always call them goblins. The word orc is only in there like once. And it's right. like, that, that's the elvish word for goblin is orc or whatever, but they call them goblins. And so that is something a child can understand. They understand a goblin. They don't know what an orc is. And so when you go down the line and you get to Lord of the Rings, you know, I think there's one, it's like the reverse. So they always call them orcs. One time Legolas says goblins or, you know, something like that. So it's just, again, that that difference in language and the difference in the way that the storytelling is set up 
very much denotes like this is a book that's meant for a younger audience and this one has a lot more detail. And it's also an intro to Middle Earth. It's like we don't we get very basic. Yeah, like we're saying the basic language in here. And and when you are then thrown into the Lord of the Rings, it's it's like you're being thrown into a world that you should already understand. Right. Um, it's like it, it's it's so it's like going from reading something made for a ten year old to going some like to a college course. Like mm-hmm. that's how mm-hmm. big the, I feel like that's how big the jump is. It is. It's it's big. And and again, there's so much in the <laughs> something we have to talk about is the amount of songs that are in yes. the Tolkien books. You don't hear them that much in the movie, or if they're there, they're done in a jaunty enough way that they aren't off putting. Right. But if you, I mean, when I read the books with my eyeballs. I very much tend to I, like I read them the first time and then I just skip through that part the next time around because I'm I'm done. And it might take three or four pages to get through this damn song because they're so long. So many songs. But Plus all the dwarves have to have a verse. I mean, I mean <laughs> and, and it's like this in the Lord of the Rings too. There's so much song. And again, I'm a huge music fan. My husband's an opera singer. This is what we do. I get so annoyed with the song. So this time I listened to the audiobook because I had just read it a couple months ago. But I listen to the audiobook and I'm like fast forwarding, like fast. It was like three minutes per song. It's, I mean, it's insane how much is in there and all of these books. It's like, oh, why so many songs? Well, it's, it's really meant to, and you're right. Like I could just take this book and, and just, um, you know, just fan the pages out really mm-hmm. quick. And so many, yeah. so many verses just pop out at you and so that can many, be yeah. annoying, but it's part of weaving in that old medieval lore feeling mm. of like, we're a culture of people that this is how we pass down our storytelling. This is how we pass down our history and our people and our family and our ancestry. Mm-hmm. And as an, and it's annoying to us as modern people. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I think I, I really enjoy it. Like the first time I read something. It's like, oh, that's cool that the lyrics to this add something. But then you realize after the 40th song, they keep going on for pages and pages. You're like, I'm just, I already know the story. I'm just trying to get through with some more detail. Can we? Like, <laughs> Well, what did you think about the songs in the movie? I know that when this is a book club episode, but I really enjoyed the, the dwarves. Like, yeah, yes. the dwarves. Oh, love that yeah. song. Love it. I barely remember the Hobbit movie because I, I saw it once and I, mm-hmm. I, did, I don't remember really caring um the way the way that that jackson's hobbit does the the song during the unexpected party where they're talking about how they have to go and retrieve their home and all this other stuff it is beautifully done the dwarves are amazing and it's just this like haunting it's gorgeous that is not Mm -hmm. the song they sing in the audiobook from 1937 (laughs) it's much jauntier at that point but i like that he made the transition to make it a much more solemn thing to have this included as opposed to we're going to the mountain. Dur, dur, dur. So, I mean, that's how they read. They read like that. They do. So the fact that yeah. he took it on a different path and made it more. And, and that was one of the things in the movie, especially that where you see Bilbo's mind start to, to wander and to think about the potential for this adventure and what they need to do. And when he wakes up in the morning and they're all gone, it's like, oh shit, I have to, I have to go. <laughs> I don't have a, I don't have a handkerchief. I don't have food. I have nothing. I'm just running out the door with a contract in hand. And uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, on their adventure, they consistently get separated from Bilbo mm-hmm. and they consistently get kidnapped. Mm-hmm. So And Gandalf I'd... fucks right off anytime he feels like it. He's just yeah. like, and gone. 
Yeah, Gandalf is so weird in The Hobbit. Mm-hmm, he is. <laughs> I mean, he's always weird, but he, I always found him to be weirder. Mm-hmm. He is <laughs> because he's he's, he's almost like a weird little puck kind of character, just showing yes. up to make trouble, and then he takes off again. And again, but that's that's the that's the childhood incarnation of him. Mm-hmm. It's like he's like a cartoon Gandalf. I feel like. Yeah, if you watch the cartoon, he is very <laughs> cartoony Gandalf, and and that's the funny thing. Like I <laughs> love that they brought Ian McKellen in to do Gandalf, and he does him so well. And yeah. there are a lot of times where he's very serious. He's he's a wizard. He's mm, he's powerful. And then there's mm-hmm. other times that he is the little old man giggling on the side, setting off fireworks for little kids, and just doing lighthearted things, or you know what watching big butterflies and Bayorn's fields or, you know, whatever it is. And so you get, and that's nice because you get to see a little bit of that where it's not just, okay, the scary wizard's back to, to send us to Mount Doom. Okay. (laughs) I love, I I think that's probably part of Gandalf's uh, purpose and appeal is that, I mean, or not just Gandalf, but like a wizard in Mm -hmm. general is that they can, they're just like that, you know, unseeming like old man (laughs) who has a bunch of kids that are gathering around him and he's telling jokes or doing magic or whatever it may be. But then the next moment he's gone. (laughs) Where did he go? It's really what I'm hoping for in my own old age. I'd really just like to be that weird witch everybody wants to congregate around. And she's fun and she's got candy, but she might eat you. It's okay. And it, so. it might be cool to be able to disappear mm. at random. Yeah, that'd be nice. Without a <laughs> ring that's going to steal your soul. Yes, that would be a good a plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's not take that part into real life. <laughs> yeah. So we see all sorts of interesting characters. But they again, what we're seeing, or at least what we're being told about, are more of the fantastical childhood fairy tale kind of things like trolls and goblins and then the wood elves and the wood elves in the cartoon version uh, are just wood elves. freaking weird. They're so strange. They are what you would imagine at that point. They're not fairies because I think people always want to confuse elves and fairies. And mm. so they're more elfish and they're, they're very interesting in that. But they're very different from the Lord of the Rings elves where they are this ethereal power and whatever. These other ones are just like jerks. They're like, fuck you. You don't want to tell us what we want to know? You go sit in our basement for 100 years. That's fine. Go for it. We don't like you anyway. Your dad stole our jewelry. Like, it's very weird. So, but again, you're seeing those as not the everyday mundane. They're not running into men. They're not running into high elves or, you know, other types of dwarves. They're just, you know, they're just on their journey and they just run into one weird Billy Goat troll under a bridge and, you know, strange stuff happening. So, (laughs) anyway. Yeah. So, so first it's the tr- uh, trolls, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Then it's I can't remember the order in which kidnapping happened, and then the goblins. <laughs> the goblins. Yeah. After they go to after they go to Rivendell, Troll, I think it's so weird goblin. that they they keep calling Elrond's house the last homely house before the sea. Hmm. And I had such a problem with that phrase when I was a kid because I understood homely meant like boring or you know plain or you know whatever like it was yeah. a very different connotation to how they're trying to sell it in this book and then we see it in the lord of the rings where it is like super fantastical and it's gorgeous and nobody ever wants to leave rivendell and it's you know utopia it's just this beautiful beautiful place that everyone wants to be and light and music and that is not how they talk about it in the hobbit <laughs> it's like we have to go to the homely house and we have to stay <laughs> there until the moon ruins show up like it's just <laughs> And it's like, isn't that convenient? It's so convenient that we just happen to be here on the same day and the same moon. And so, again, a lot of that stuff lines up so well for a kid's tale. Like, you don't have to sit around and wait six months for things to happen in a kid's story. They just are. 
And that's part of the magic. It's like, oh, well, God, look at our luck. We happen to be here on this thing. I that like happened. how you put it that way. Like they just are. Yeah. That, that is, mm-hmm. that is a, a, um, a trait of children's literature. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't make any sense. And I think that's why you get a lot of grownups reading stuff going, huh? Like why? But why? That what? But a little kid could explain it They're to like, you. They're really like, yeah, quick. but that's yeah. just how it is. Of course they showed up on this day and because they needed it to be. That's just Duh, it's magic, it's mom. Magic, exactly. <laughs> and so much of this book is just kind of explained away with a shrug and a magic kind of thing. So we like now I'm laughing at our assessment of Gandalf just <laughs> being weird because I just turned to a random page and at the top it says, It was just then that Gandalf came back. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, was it just then? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right then when it needed to happen. Yeah. Or just like they're about to get eaten by trolls, and right, all of a sudden, exactly. Dawn will take you all. Crack. It's like, oh, well, that's handy. And then Gandalf appeared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that we need to talk about because since we just talked about the goblins, so um, the riddles mm-hmm. that yeah. hit. I was going to say, can we skip to uh, chapter? Yeah, one? yeah. Riddles, <laughs> riddles in the dark, such a great mm-hmm. chapter. Yep. Yeah. So I, if I could just start um, by reading something again, I. Mm-hmm apologize if i read too much out loud but that's my no it's awesome because we never do (laughs) oh well that's my like favorite thing to do on earth and someone someone listening to my radio show this past saturday i was reading a passage from something and they um we like live tweet on while we're on the radio and uh someone tweeted like can someone please start a podcast where sarah reads to us all Mm. the time (laughs) and i was like You've just described my life goal. Right. Thank You're like, you, yes, I've, I've wanted to do that myself. I was like, how I'm do I like, get away with doing this? Where mm-hmm. is the person that pays for that? Pays <laughs> me, that pays me to turn on my microphone mm-hmm. and read to them mm-hmm. for eight hours a day. Yeah, I'm in. If you find them and you need a partner, let me know. Yeah. Liz and Sarah, read <laughs> <Sorry>. to you. <laughs> Actually, I'm working on setting up a book review site. Let's <laughs> just be like Liz, read shit because it's. Yeah, yeah and yeah. someone will come along and throw some dollars at you for something, right? Yeah, They'll be like, that's we're going to use goal, this yeah. for some, yeah, just put it out there and someone will think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so from, I guess, like a page and a half into chapter five, I just wanted to read like one, this is like one of the, might be the first pivotal thoughts that Bilbo has. So he thinks to himself, go back, no good at all. Go sideways, impossible. Go forward, the only thing to do. On we go. So up he got and trotted along with his little sword held in front of him and one hand feeling the wall and his heart all of a patter and a pitter. (laughs) It's not pitter pattering. Mm -mm. It's all of a patter and a pitter. (laughs) Um, But that, you know, him finding himself in the dark and being left alone and making this is where you still have to really believe in him starting to actually make the decisions for himself. Yeah. Um, And so feeling in the dark and knowing that he can't go back and he has to do something on his own is a pivotal part of his development. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Finding that ring was super helpful. That's pretty hard. That's a pretty big thing. It's like the first paragraph in that. He's like, you fell down a big hole, hit the ground and boom, ring. And again, we're like, but why though? Because magic. (laughs) Well, they uh, they even, the narrator even said, and it was like a career changing thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it does. You've been a fairly shitty burglar up to this point, and now you've got a magic ring that turns you invisible. Hell yes. You are now on the big leagues. Mm -hmm. Very cute. Yeah. So we do. We get into the riddles in the dark with Gollum. And again, this is the part of the. The movie I remember so much as a kid, and I always loved reading this part because it's so descriptive. 
and I can hear water dripping in the cave and I can hear mm-hmm. the sound of his big, weird, flappy feet making waves as he's paddling this boat. Like you can see his lamp like eyes. Like it's so descriptive that you can absolutely see it just, you know, in your mind's eye. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Or another part. So like, eh, there was a goblin and things were bad. And then the end, like just, <laughs> some parts are very quick and other parts are, you know, much more descriptive, I- but. I have a quick surprise question that I'm going to interject. Mm-hmm. How um, how would you feel about my former teacher joining us for like a few minutes? Sure. Yeah. He's texting me all of the things he wants me to say <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> and in large capital letters, he's quoting, cha- like going back and forth between chapter 12. And I was like, do you want to come on? <laughs> I'm like, let me just see if you can Did you, did you tell him the name of the show? <laughs> oh, I, I don't think I told him. Yet. No, because I was, wasn't really answering him because I'm talking to oh, you guys. Yeah, and and then I just saw like that the last time, since the last time I looked at my phone, there was like 14 messages. That's funny. <laughs> like, I'm like, want to come on for 20 minutes or something like that? It's like our own radio call-in show. Yeah. Uh So I'm just going to send him a Squadcast link. He's like, I'm ready. Can I really come on? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So I think you would get a kick out of hearing hearing him talk. His name is Kevin. Okay. So I'm just going to send him this Squadcast link. He's been on your podcast before, hasn't he? Oh, he's been on my podcast. I was going to say, I think I've heard him on your podcast before. He was probably one of my first guests. Um, But we can keep talking. I just, he was... I didn't realize that he said, I said, I can send you a Squadcast link. He goes, really? <laughs> on my computer or on my phone? And then I said, well, let me, let me ask the ladies first. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just, I let us talk for a while. And I was like, and he goes, ready if you are. <laughs> yeah. Tell him to throw on a pair of headphones. It'd be good to go. He so be, as he an adult, be. I had the most difficult time with those riddles. I was surprised how hard they were. Mm, well, you're not a hobbit. Yeah, That's the problem. That's I, I, yeah. I, I guess because I was like, <laughs> I thought this was for kids. Like these are not easy uh, riddles. Well, the, the cool thing about it was you can tell. I mean, and they, they don't know. He doesn't know what Gollum's backstory is at this point. He has no idea that he used to be hobbitish like he was one of the river people there's three different types of you know little people in this world and you know they're they're cousins basically very very distant cousins and so they know all of the same riddles that's why they can go back and forth like this so much and nobody gets eaten just yet so, but yeah like we are people we're like i don't know what the fuck they're talking about so. <laughs> I know. though some of them are now cards against humanity cards so i do know them oh yeah <laughs> oh Okay. Yeah, but I was yeah, I was listening to it going, you know, I remember having riddles given to me mm-hmm. and you could usually figure them out, but like these were impossible. Yeah. Well, especially if like you have the threat of someone's going to eat you if you get get it wrong or don't answer fast enough. So I just found a quote from chap- from this chapter that I love. I am Mr. Bilbo Baggins. I have lost the dwarves and I have lost the wizard and I don't know where I am. Oh. <laughs> I like that he's lost them. Not that yeah, he's not that he's so lost. He's lost them. He is, and he does. He fi- he finds himself to feel responsible for all of them, which is very interesting since he goes into this with not a care in the world. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's, it is, and it, it's it's a character that's created. The hobbits were so created for human beings to really be able to think about and connect to mm-hmm. and relate to in that way, which is why which is why they're so endearing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So anyway, (laughs) Bilbo finds the ring and they are doing riddles in the dark. They're talking, they're telling. And the, the point of this game is that if Bilbo loses 
Gollum eats him. But if Bilbo wins, Gollum will show him the way out so that he can hopefully go find his dwarves and his wizard, who again, once again, showed up for no reason in the nick of time ish almost <laughs> not not quite long enough to keep them from all being beaten uh and scared to death but you know long enough before any permanent damage right. was done i thought that the very last riddle that screws with Gollum and the what's in my pocket was really not a riddle at all it was well that's the thing he, because he says ask us a question uh, that's how he gets around it he says ask us a question not just ask us a riddle <laughs> And and Gollum's like, that's not fair. He's like, yeah, you know, semantics. I think we have a visitor. Hello, folks. Hello. Hello. Why is your name Adaptable Creative? <laughs> I don't know. It's the first time I'm seeing that. We all have our names on our, and you're adapt. I'm like, hmm. Well, I suppose I'll have to be adaptably creative. <laughs> yes. um, Kevin, meet Heather and Liz. Hello. Hello, Heather and Liz. Hey, How and are you? Good. Just to warn you, this, this podcast is called the Nerdy Bitches Podcast. <laughs> I could be a nerdy bitch. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> and then they informed me at the beginning that they've started to open up to some men being on their show. So I was like, you know what? Let's see if you want to come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what are, what are you up to? We are in chapter five. And what was the, we were just talking about, what were we just talking about? We were talking about the similarities between Bilbo and Gollum mm-hmm. that they knew all of the same riddles. And could uh, could keep up with each other without knowing that they have the similar background. Oh, Oh, and just a quick just a quick background, Kevin, is that um, part of the premise to this episode is that Liz kind of grew up with The Hobbit in her life, uh, reading Mm -hmm. it and watching it. And Heather never read it before now. Mm -hmm. So they're both coming from Mm -hmm. a little bit of different experience. Okay. so. Anyway. And, and we are we are doing this as part of our greater Hobbit month for the month of September because it's my birthday, but it's also the birthday of Bilbo and Frodo because mm-hmm. I'm that big of a dork. <laughs> so <laughs> that's where we okay. are. <laughs> very, very fitting. Yep. Okay. So um, take it away. You want me to? Well, I always, it's funny. I used to psychoanalyze the riddles mm. um, because the, the riddles do reveal that Tolkien was setting the groundwork for uh, Gollum's presence in Lord of the Rings. Um, what I've what I've read is that, uh, and I think I shared this with Sarah a few weeks ago. Tolkien went back and rewrote Chapter Five of The Hobbit after he finished Lord of the Rings, to make it oh. to make it fit mm. to make it foreshadow what happens in Lord of the Rings a lot better. So what happens is, in fact, Gollum really is not mentioned in any other chapter mm. in The Hobbit. He's only he's only mentioned in Chapter Five. Right, um, right. So. When Tolkien is writing this version of Chapter 5, he knows what's happening later on in Lord of the Rings because he's already written it. He's already got that whole thing done. Uh, So Gollum's riddles and Gollum's ability to answer Bilbo's riddles reveals that he was, in fact, a hobbit at one point. Um, we don't find that out for sure until the beginning of Fellowship, but, but Tolkien, you know, lays down those clues. When I psychoanalyzed the riddles, I took them apart. I, I did all of Bilbo's at once and all of Gollum's at once with the students, and I would put them up on a on, – I used to do it on a chalkboard, and then I did it in a PowerPoint. And you notice that uh, Gollum, all of his riddles reflect death, darkness, pessimism, and all of Bilbo's riddles in some way reflect light, life, and optimism. So, for example, with Bilbo's riddles, you have, um, you know, the mm-hmm. sun shining on the daisy and the sun and the flower are symbols of life. Uh, the egg is one of Bilbo's riddle clues, uh, riddle answers. So, and that's another symbol of life. Whereas Gollum describes a mountain as something that never grows. And the fish is as cold as death. Uh, and time devours all things. You know, it's all, it's all negative. 
Um, so it really reveals uh, something very important about Bilbo that happens in that same chapter, which is that he spares Gollum's life. Bilbo is a life giver and Gollum is a life taker. So that moment in chapter five, when Bilbo is faced with Gollum blocking that last passageway out, which is kind of like a birth canal leading to his rebirth at the end when he squeezes through the door. Um, Bilbo has that moment when he initially thinks like Gollum. Um, he was desperate. He must get away. Um, he must stab the foul thing, put its eyes out, kill it. He's thinking to himself. And that's how Gollum referred to Bilbo as it and as thing. And then all of a sudden, Bilbo has a change of heart. And as Tolkien describes it, he says, no, it's not a fair fight. Um, and Gollum hadn't actually tried to kill him yet. Uh, so he's now referring to Gollum as a person, not as a thing. So in that moment of decision, Bilbo goes from almost becoming like Gollum and being a life taker and instead sparing Gollum's life, which down the road in Lord of the Rings, if Bilbo kills Gollum in that moment, then the climax of Lord of the Rings is shot mm -hmm. because God, I always right. used to say to the kids, if yeah. you know the climax of Lord mm -hmm. of the Rings, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know it yet, I'm not going to spoil it for you. But Gollum has to be there in that climactic moment or the quest right. to destroy the ring will fail. So, uh, and then that's referred to in Fellowship when uh, Frodo is told by Gandalf that uh, it's Gollum, he's been following us for three days. And, and, and Frodo says, it's a pity that Bilbo didn't <laughs> kill that foul creature when he had the chance. And Gandalf says, pity. It was pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. And he says, you know, uh, I, mm. I do not know all ends, but I, I know that Gollum has a part yet to play. And of course, the part that he has to play is that he has to be there in the climax of, of uh, Lord of the Rings. Wow, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. but, like, <laughs> I told you it would be worth yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, I loved teaching that stuff. Uh, and it, it was mm -hmm. always more, mm -hmm. it became more fun. I taught The Hobbit for a long, long time. Uh, and then when The Lord of the Rings came out, it was even more fun because more kids started taking the class. More kids knew about all this background stuff. Uh, and then making those connections uh, was, was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, and it, it makes a ton of sense that, you know, Bilbo was able to retain his humanity where mm -hmm. Gollum was not. Um, I guess, is it hop, is it humanity or is it hobbitity? <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll keep it simple and just say it's humanity. Mm -hmm. His soul. Well, yeah. His soul. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I just, I love this whole chapter. The, and, and like you said, you know, he, he finds the ring, he realizes he's invisible, which is, cool it's like whoa that's new and interesting it'll make my career as a burglar much more successful but again he he's not using it to be aggressive he's not using it to hurt people he's using it to find a way out he's using it to protect himself to protect his friends um, he gets a little aggressive in the next uh, the next section here when they get into Mirkwood um, but you know at this point he, like you said he's not taking taking Gollum's life and you know thankfully he didn't because then Sam would have had to I don't know so do you think Sam would have? Yeah, and also I think Tolkien, as a as a Christian writer, is trying to promote the idea of um, you know you'll fa you'll be faced with temptations such as these, but if you really you know let your Christ like side come out, you're going to go on the side of life, not the side of death. Steep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> have you guys seen the Tolkien movie that they have on HBO right now that Nicholas Holt was in? I just saw that it's listed. Amazing. It, it is so good. You really need to watch it. So and it's it's not about this stuff, but you can see it I mean it's his life and it's his starting to 
write and to to get creative and to see the things and that you know you can see where like the ints come in and where mm-hmm. this battle of war comes in and, and it's it's beautifully done i highly recommend it if you have not seen it to to check we'll, it out we'll have to check that out yeah yeah it's on my list mm-hmm. you've got a long list <laughs> i know <laughs> Welcome to I our told world. him I was doing this tonight and he was like, wow, you have a busy day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is my existence going from one project to the next. Same. Constantly. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. So what, what's next? What's the next step here? Uh, I'm trying to think of like, when does the shapeshifter come in or whatever he's called? Oh, we've, uh, we passed him. <laughs> oh, already, we pa- I, wait, I missed the shapeshifter. <laughs> I think we... I skipped us right to chapter okay. five. Let's see. <laughs> If you're talking about uh, Bayorn, he's, Bayorn, he's yeah. yeah, he's in chapter seven. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So he's coming up. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Because they escape from the the misty mountains here, mm-hmm. and they run down to the edge of the cliff, and that's when the wargs and the the goblins show up and chase them up a tree. And there's a wonderful little song in the cartoon version that I like that is very very long when written out in the book. But, <laughs> so they, they chase them up the tree, and then the eagles come. Mm. And so we've got the eagles. And this is always the number one question anytime somebody brings up the Lord of the Rings. Why don't they just take the eagles to Mordor? I was like, because the eagles are jerks. They have no interest in flying people, and they say that. In this book, they're like, don't think we're going to carry you everywhere. We're doing this like once. Like, don't call us again. So they they are not they are not receptive Uber drivers. They are not going to fly them all the way to Mordor. They're just not going to do it. So now, there's also uh, not to get overly religious here, but there's also a, a Christian message in that as well uh, with the mm-hmm. eagles coming from above, which is that uh, you go as far as you humanly can for as mm-hmm. long as you can. And when you can't, then it's in the hands of the power above you that will mm, carry that's you. That's when they carry the you. And that's also what mm-hmm. happens when uh, Frodo and Sam come out of uh, you know the mountain at the end of Lord of the Rings. They mm-hmm. think they're going to die there, and then all of a sudden the great eagle comes and carries them away because mm-hmm. uh, they, you know, they don't deserve to die there. They deserve a reward. Mm-hmm. Wow. Deep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's your hashtag for this episode. <laughs> hashtag deep. <laughs> So yeah, so that that is when the eagles come, and then they have to walk the rest of the way because again, mm-hmm. they're like, "We'll drop you on the top of our eyrie here. We're not even going to take you to the ground." So you know, good luck with that. And then do Gandalf takes them to Bayorns, and they meet him, and he's a big, giant, scary bear. But I love, and they do this well in the in the uh, Jackson movie. He's not even in the the Rankin Bass movie from the seventies, but they do this so well in that where he's like, "Okay, he's not overly fond of dwarves, so <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna meet him like two at a time." So you guys come every five minutes and I will introduce you. And so he starts going through this. He's like, this is my friend, Mr. Baggins. And, you know, we were on this with a, you know, a, a group of friends. He's like, when is two a group? And then like two of them show up. Oh, well, okay. Maybe that's a group. And then, you know, he just starts, it's like, now it's our posse. And it's like, this just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And he's like, how the hell many are there? <laughs> like, just, just get it over with and get them all out here. But I loved how he did that because while he was slowly introducing them, he's also telling their, their tale and getting him, invested so he's now invested in what's happening with them he wants to know more than he wants to eat them <laughs> yeah i i like that too i mean the narrator had to tell it to me but i still <laughs> <laughs> but i still i thought well that is clever you know if you, if you get somebody kind of engaged and they kind of forget their annoyance so much because they want to hear the end of the story he just wanted his yeah. the completion yeah and once you get somebody involved then they're willing to help you more than just if they're a passive mm-hmm. stranger passerby so Yep. Kevin, Kevin, one of the things we were commenting on before was um, before we got to chapter five was the amount of uh, singing and tale telling. So many songs. So many. Interjected. And I was wondering if you have an opinion on on it and on on its inclusion in the novels, but then also like how it's depicted in the film. Yeah. Well, I I always thought 
the, he, Tolkien wrote The Hobbit largely for his children, and he used to read it to them. And I think the songs were included to add to the entertainment value for the sake of the kids. I know the mm. the, the Goblin song in Chapter 4 is very much like a, a, a pirate song, mm-hmm. you know, with the yo-ho, my lads, and, yep. you know, all that stuff. So I think he was pretty much just trying to amuse the kids, and every now and then he'd put these little musical interludes in there just to, you know, give them something different to, to listen to. Yeah, so I, I find that I enjoyed them the first time. I like them in the different movie adaptations because mm-hmm. they've done them very, very well for the most part. But I find when I because I read this fairly regularly every year or two, uh, it, I just bypass them because I'm like, ah, so many songs like they just keep singing. So it's like I like it as a this is how I tell the story to a kid and it's much mm-hmm. more entertaining. But uh, just as a grown human trying to read these, sometimes I'm like, just keep moving. <laughs> well, it's funny. Uh, you mentioned just keep moving. Um, I used to skip over the Beyond chapter with the kids. Mm. I used to um, just because I spent several, I spent like three or four days on chapter five alone. So I couldn't right. really go deeply into every chapter, but I would have, a, you know, a chapter summary. I actually used to summarize, I used to take them from the beginning of chapter six when uh, Bilbo had made the decision that he was going to go back inside to look for his friends because he thought mm-hmm. they were still in danger. And then he hears them nearby, and then he hears them arguing with Gandalf, and they're saying, we're not going to go back to him. He's useless. Uh, so right after he I, – I take it up to the point where he appears to them um, and chooses to not tell them about that he has the ring, where he's, it's, he's developing a little bit of shrewdness as an mm-hmm. adventurer, whereas the earlier Bilbo would have just, oh, I found this ring and it made me invisible. You know, So now he's learning to be a little bit – he holds his cards close to the vest. Mm-hmm. What I did used to do in chapter one, I did used to sing the song. Um, because the kids got a kick out of it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I'm teaching seniors and, you know, some of them are, are gung-ho. Some of them are a little jaded. But uh, they used to get a kick out of that. Like, all of a sudden, uh, I would I would have the, the paragraph about, you know, the, the fire was glowing and the shadows mm-hmm. were dancing on the wall. Uh, and they, one by one, they began to sing. And then I'd make my way. By the time I got to that line, I would, I would hit the lights. And then the room would be dark. And I would start to sing, you know, far over the misty mountains cold. And mm-hmm. they got, and actually, before the movie, before I had that, melody i had another one i did it kind of like a native american chant and i used to Mm -hmm. pound on the desk i think sarah would remember that but they used to get and then um i would have the kids pounding on their own desks they would gradually start to do it and we would all be you know pounding on the desks and i'm singing the song and people walking by outside and wondering what the heck's going on in that classroom (laughs) but it was happening in there like i think like what tolkien did in telling the story to his children it 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 just kind of made it fun you know because chapter mm-hmm. one's a little on the longer side when you when you're getting going with with the hobbit mm-hmm. uh so I, I always felt you know um that was one way to add a little bit of fun into it i also used to do uh scripts where i would photocopy the pages the first couple of pages when bilbo and gandalf are having their conversation uh and then i would be the narrator and one student would be bilbo and one student would be gandalf and i would highlight whoever was going to read the parts mm-hmm. so that made it fun too you know they were oh i want to be gandalf i want to be bilbo i want to be thorin you know so mm-hmm. that was another way to add uh that little dimension into it but it's you know it is a long chapter to get through but there's a lot of important stuff in it that you really have to pay attention to well, let me ask you, you this. Um, sorry, sir. Uh, I was going to say you might not you might not mind the songs if they were presented to you. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And like I said, I enjoy them in the movie. But when you're reading it multiple mm-hmm. times, it gets a little old. One of the question, one of the things we had talked about earlier was the difference in writing style between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, where The Hobbit is very much more of a children's story, mm-hmm. and The Lord of the Rings is like jumping to grad school from there. So <laughs> one of the things we said is that there is that narrator voice that's happening throughout The Hobbit, telling you the little asides and oh, let me tell you about this, mm-hmm. my friends, and whatever. 
have you ever discussed with your classes who the narrator is? Well, it's the suggestion is that it's Bilbo. Mm -hmm. Because he he writes his he, he writes, was going to write yeah, his yeah, memoirs yeah, and he was right. going to call them there and back again a Hobbit's mm -hmm. holiday mm -hmm. and that's the subtitle of the book. Right. So I I always thought he just kind of took himself he made himself a character in the story and told it from the third person point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as I, I I've always thought that in the past, but as I was rereading it this past time, it kind of dawned on me this might be somebody else who is has that book that Bilbo has written and is now telling the tale. Mm -hmm. So even like a Frodo or a Sam years down the road, kind of coming back and telling the story. So yeah, I mean the problem with my theory is that Bilbo is not in chapter twelve at all. I mean not mm -hmm. chapter twelve, chapter fifteen when when the dragon is killed. Right. So he wouldn't have been witness to any of those events. So it it kind of sh it shoots my theory out out the window a little bit. Yeah. He would have known about it so he could write about it. But yeah. I, I suppose. Yeah, I always thought that the, the Hobbits, you know, even though it was written down, it would be spoken. They would tell the story to mm -hmm. somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it would make a lot of sense to be able to hear the, hear a narrator kind of throw their own asides in it. Mm -hmm. Well, and we see that a little bit in The Lord of the Rings in the first movie at Bilbo's birthday party where he's telling the story to the little kids, which happened to be Peter Jackson's kids. But he's telling the story to the kids and he's very expressive and, woof, you know, turn them all to stone and doing the things. And so it's fun to see that they do bring that in a little bit, that storyteller aspect of it. And that is, you know, how you would probably pass these down in this type of culture situation. Well, it's also funny in the movie, um, the – the farmer, when Gandalf is riding into town on the wagon with Frodo, mm -hmm. and they they pass by that little farmer man who's scowling at Gandalf, you know, right at, right as Frodo says, you know, you've you've been labeled a, a disturber of peace, uh, <laughs> and and the farmer is glaring at him uh, until the fireworks get set off, and then you see the farmer start to laugh, mm -hmm. and then the wife glares at him, and he goes back to scowling again, and that always reminded me of Bilbo's reaction to hearing Gandalf's name. Uh, in chapter one, you know, and the reaction was the react. He was glad to hear Gandalf's name. He was he remembered him from his childhood. Gandalf, good gracious me, not the wandering wizard. He used to tell such wonderful tales and and uh, send little hobbit boys and girls off on mild adventures. Uh, and then he says, "Bless me, life used to be quite inter." And then he cuts himself off, and he says, "I mean, uh, you used to upset things very badly around these parts." So I always used to say to the kids, well, which reaction was the true reaction? Because he babbled on quite a bit when he first heard that it was Gandalf come back to town. But mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, his years of programming as, as a respectable Baggins kicks in and he realizes, <laughs> I'm not supposed to say these things. I'm not supposed to think these things. I have to go back to being respectable. And he makes himself say, oh, Gandalf, he used to be used to upset things pretty badly in these parts. And so whenever when I saw Lord of the Rings, because the movie Lord of the Rings came out before The Hobbit. So when I saw that farmer, uh, <laughs> he used to say, well, that's that's the same as Bilbo. You know, he's scowling at G Gandalf until Gandalf sets off the fireworks. And then the, the farmer is glad to see him again. Hmm. In an, in an interest of time, I was wondering if I could um, ask Kevin to help us connect something about Chapter 5 to Chapter 12, okay. um, because I know that that is uh, one of the 47 things you texted me about an hour ago. And <laughs> <laughs> okay. realized there's something in between. Um, we were just, what, in 7? Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to get to 7 now in my book, because I... Yeah, seven is the Bjorn chapter. Let's see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so unless there's if there's a stuff between seven and twelve that we want to talk about, so we can get to twelve. Well, you were going to talk about Bilbo's symbolic loss of virginity in chapter eight, right? 
That's right. We were going to talk about that. Right, guys? Sure. Um, we are now. Uh, yeah, we definitely are. We're going to have to. Well, I mean, the interesting thing is he, he finds the sword at the end of chapter two. Uh, so that's his acquisition of the phallic symbol. Uh-huh. Um, doesn't do much with it other than get some light out of it in, in chapter five. Um, but then in chapter eight, when his life is threatened by that first of the giant spiders, when Bilbo was all by himself, uh, separated from the dwarves in Mirkwood, um, he, he, his, his one hand was still free from the spider webs and he was able to overcome his panic and grab the sword and cut himself free. And then he attacks the spider and he, he kills it. So, you know, if you look at the, the wording that Tolkien uses, you know, he, he draws out the sword, he thrusts forward with it, it obviously gets bloody when it penetrates the other. Then he, he consummates the act. He kills the spider. He defends himself for the first time, which is an act of potent adulthood. Um, and then um, he cleans it off and then he gives it a name. Mm-hmm. So that's where it gets the name Sting from from killing the spider. So that was another moment that I always made sure I talked about with the kids, yeah. uh, because even though I had to jump through a lot of uh, things, that that was a part that we always did together. Mm-hmm. And I would say to them, um, you know, do you recognize what's going on here? And I, I used to make the kids figure it out themselves. I did. I wouldn't tell them right away. All of a sudden, somebody would go, "Oh, he lost his virginity," and uh, there you go. And they would start to think, "We can't talk about that. And why not? We're not, you know." It's, life it's, it's what it's, happens yeah it's and it's, part it's of being an adult yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. so um so there's that's an important moment in chapter eight wow. uh, but then if you wanted to do the parallels for chapter five and chapter 12 which are both the um i used to do um i, I did read the on week on on okay go, okay yeah oh, i read it out loud don't worry okay. <laughs> very important and i was very annoyed that peter jackson left that out of the movie i have to say i love yeah. most of what he did with with lord of the rings and i mm-hmm. thought the hobbit could have probably been just two movies instead of three but mm-hmm. it, it bothered me that he left out on we go because i think that's very important um it, it became is. the catchphrase in in my my senior class uh, and there used to be, you know, the message at the end of the year, signing the yearbooks, on we go. I mean, we say on we go weekly, mm-hmm. like constantly. It's always <laughs> being said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because what happens is I, I used to introduce chapter 12 by saying Bilbo finds himself alone in a mountain tunnel. After deciding to continue forward, he comes face to face with a monstrous being who might devour him. Now, that's true of both chapter 5 and chapter 12. Yeah, right. Right. So I just phrased it in those general terms. Uh, and then the differences are what show Bilbo's growth toward adulthood, because in chapter five, he has no option but to go forward. It's the only thing he can do. Go back, no good at all. Go sideways, impossible. Go forward, only thing to do. Mm-hmm. On we go. So he continues forward out of necessity and then stumbles toward Gollum and, and then has his encounter with Gollum. In chapter five and chapter 12, excuse me, uh, in chapter 12, he knows the danger is ahead of him. In chapter five, he didn't know Gollum was ahead of him. All he knew it was, da- was that danger was behind him. So in chapter 12, he knowingly heads toward the danger of Smaug. In chapter five, it was dark, uh, it was quiet, and it was cold. In chapter 12, he can see the light at the end of the tunnel, he can feel the dragon's heat, and he can hear the dragon's rumbling snores, and he chooses to go forward anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so G- Tolkien says he came to that moment when he stopped uh, and then he says, going on from there was the bravest thing he ever did. And I used to say to the kids in the class, well, you know, he could have, Tolkien could have written continuing from there was the bravest thing or proceeding from there was the bravest thing. So why does he phrase it? 
going on from there. And someone would eventually catch on. Oh, on we go. And of course, Bilbo saying on we go in chapter five is a reflection of something Gandalf says in chapter four, when he makes sure that they're all together and safe from the goblins. Gandalf counts them all up. And Mr. Baggins, okay, uh, on we go. So I used to say in chapter five, why is Bilbo saying on we go? He's by himself, but he's emulating his mentor, Gandalf, and it's showing he's taking his first steps toward becoming like him. Mm-hmm. Wow. So chapter 12, <laughs> chapter 12 has that parallel because he's in the mountain tunnel going toward danger. But in chapter five, he doesn't know the danger is ahead of him. And he's also in chapter five, he's on a rocky, rough path. And in chapter 12, he's on a smooth, straight path built by the dwarves at the height of their skill. So that's another, you know, to use that old metaphor of, you know, you're on rocky road or you're on a smooth, mm-hmm. smooth path. You know, he's on the smoother path. He's still frightened, but he doesn't let fear stop him, which is, you know, the definition of, of courage really is not that you're right. not afraid. It's that you don't let fear stop you. Be afraid, but do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, and a lot of this is about his own internal motivations that he mm-hmm. was, he didn't really have at the beginning, right? He was for, he, mm-hmm. he wasn't forced into the thing, but he really was pushed along the way <laughs> to, to the journey itself. So I think I do, I do. I like to see, see the growth and um, thank you for the comparison. Cause I didn't quite put two and two together. Uh, no, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> well, we thank you guys so much. I think we're going to have to call it for the night mm-hmm. and uh, pick up again on the next half mm-hmm. a little bit later. Yeah, well, like, Cause uh, doing this for two hours. I know. I was like, Oh my God, this so much. I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, on a book club, I will always, always, always want to go more in depth than we, you know, if we can, that's mm-hmm. so much fun. But uh, yeah, Kevin, thank you so cool. much for joining us. That was um, unexpected and delightful. Yep. Yes, for, for me as well. <laughs> I didn't think you guys would mind. No, no, no certainly not. I think you'd like the insights. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So thank Thanks you so much, much for joining us, Kevin. We appreciate yeah, it. So this is our to be continued. Yep. I'm going to stop. Want me to stop recording? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Not before you say on we go. <laughs> well, on we go. On we go. On we go, ladies. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Music provided by www.bensound.com and please email feedback to contact us at nerdybitches.com. Give me any word and I will tell you how the root of that word is Tolkien.